Welcome. It is good seeing you all this morning. And for those who are watching online, we're glad you're joining us as well. Uh, as we look at the book of Hebrews, we're kind of doing a little bit of a, a double take on it each week. Uh, I'll be preaching from the book, taking a chapter at a time, and then on Thursday evenings we gather and do a Bible study at 7 o'clock, both here in-house in and online as well, and it's going to be trying to be interactive. We're doing a, a panel discussion, so there'll be a, a, you know, a, a couple ministers up on stage, maybe some elders, and we're kind of just doing a, a conversation together with you all as we dig a little bit deeper into the book of Hebrews. And uh, so I'd like to invite you to do that with us on uh, Thursday evenings as well. And we are gradually opening up a little bit more and more, and so you'll see the changes here in our room uh, here as we brought back the comfy couches that you can sit on, right? These wonderful chairs that have, have cushions to them. Uh, we're opening up slowly our children's ministry as well. Uh, this week and next week, we've got... Uh, well, it's historically been known as the cry room, but Alan prefers to call it the happy room. And so <laughs> uh, mothers with toddlers and infants, if they want to go back and take care of things there, they can do that. But I love seeing kids here in the worship with us, the noises they make. It means this church is alive, and so bring them in. Let's, let's just enjoy some time together. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews, the chapter Three is what we're going to look at, at this week as we kind of dig in. You know, about uh, 20 years ago, a movie premiered uh, called Castaway. It starred Tom Hanks, and, and the movie was, was, it was really interesting when you begin to look at the whole plot and the scheme of things with it. It, it was about a FedEx administrator, executive, who, who kind of undergoes this physical and emotional and almost spiritual change within his life after he gets stranded on this deserted island. So let me kind of summarize the plot for you just a little bit. Chuck Nolan is lands after a crash on this island that is all by himself now and he he is there trying to figure out how he can survive and he goes through all these emotions these experiences of of true true loneliness he's it there is nobody else around and, and and he loses a bunch of weight and he even thinks he's losing his mind and he names the only thing that will give the semblance of another person a volleyball and he paints a, a picture of a face on it. He calls that ball Wilson. And he has conversations with Wilson. And of course, Wilson doesn't talk back, but he imagines the conversations as they would go. Now, when we consider all that he's gone through, and after being stranded on this island for a very, very long time, Chuck decides to take a chance. He decides that he is going to either stay here on this island and die eventually all alone with nobody else around or he can build a raft and go out into the vastness of the open sea and hopefully be discovered by somebody so that he can get back to his family and to his home. Now, I can imagine, I think you can too, the, the difficulty it would be to make such a decision. You, you realize he's, he's got a place where he's living. He has learned to survive, and he, he's able to make it there on this island. He's discovered how to provide for himself with food and with shelter and with all the things that we might consider the necessities of life. But yet, 
the social distancing that he's experiencing really isn't what he needs. And so he is going to do whatever he can to hopefully find that way to, to make it out there. Now, on one hand, he's learned how to survive on this island, but he's going to die alone. And the island really, it seems like a nice island, but it's not, you know, that, that wonderful resort like Fantasy Island or even Gilligan's Island. It's, it's an island that he's it. And so he can choose to stay there and just eventually die, or he can venture out to sea in hopes, hopes of being discovered. And he's going to make a choice. And if I were in his situation, I wonder what I would choose to do. Have you ever thought about that? What would you do? Would you just stay there? Or would you leave? Would you, would you go out into the unknown? Or just live with what you know? In a way, Chuck's experience helps us to understand what the Jews were going through when Jesus came on the scene. You see what they were beginning to think about was their comfort in the law. They understood the Jewish law that God had given them through Moses, and they knew it forwards and backwards and sideways, and they knew every aspect of the law in which they should live to hopefully find a relationship with God that he would forgive them and do away with their sins, and they would eventually, you know, some thought they might go to heaven, others thought that would just be the end of things. They were very comfortable in being Jews and allowing the law to just kind of direct their lives but they were in essence just simply like Chuck Nolan surviving that was it just surviving but then God does something different he, he changes the game entirely he sends his son into this world in the form of man he died on a cross to forgive their sins and to redeem them into a relationship with him. He offers them freedom, freedom that they had never experienced before, freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from law, and, and, and this law that just really confined them and, and held them in from being truly free because of the burden that it brought with it. But to have all this freedom that was brought through the salvation that was offered through Jesus, they were going to have to leave their island of comfort. They're going to have to abandon their own Jewishness and abandon the law that they so much tried to force themselves to live under. And they would have to embrace grace. They would not only have to admit that Jesus was greater than Moses and greater than the law and greater than the angels, as Hebrews has already instructed us, but they would have to accept it and leave it and, and their firm belief, beneath the, the, the firmness of, of what their feet were standing upon. They knew it and they knew if I stayed here, I'm going to be okay. And what else do I need to do to get eternal life? That was their big question. If I be obedient here and here and here and here, then what else is there for me to do? Well we discover what they need to do is they need to get on the raft and in the boat with Jesus and trust Him to bring them the salvation that they cannot earn on their own. So they would have to risk it all and they would have to leave it all behind. Everything they were taught, everything they believed in, everything that they relied on that gave them their sense of security, 
And they would have to trust in the unknown, in hopes of salvation. Well, that's what chapter 3 in Hebrews is all about. It's about leaving all that behind and putting our faith and our trust in Jesus, who is the one who can do all these things for us. So when we hear the message of salvation, it's our moment to decide if we will soften our hearts to it, or if we'll harden it and refuse to accept that which is being offered to us freely through the blood of Jesus. So our text today encourages us in three aspects of life that I'd like for us to look at. The first one is this. We're supposed to learn from the past. Hebrews chapter 3, begin in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And I know we're probably all trying to avoid the mistakes of our ancestors. Some of us, we have a heritage of scoundrels. I mean, there there are those who are outlaws and horse thieves and bandits. Gene Withrow knows all about that. He's right along with him because he's related to Jesse James. All right, so we, we know that, and, 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 and we try to avoid all the things in the past that, that we would try to shy away from. And others of us may have a heritage of even worse than those types of people. Some may be members of pagan religions or occults. And the recipients of this letter to the book of, book of Hebrews, you see... They had baggage with their family heritage as well. And we read all about it in the books of the Old Testament. You get into the historical books there at the very beginning, and we look at Genesis and Exodus, and we go, wow, they were messed up. But if you remember, in their history, they had a a young man that came on the scene by the name of Joseph. Joseph, he was blessed by God. And he was loved by his father. And in that blessing of God, God sent him to Egypt as a slave. I may not count that a blessing, but it was a blessing in disguise. And Joseph had to understand that. And so he went into Egypt as a slave, but as time goes through and goes on, eventually Joseph finds himself out of the pits of prison and slavery and into the royal palace where he is in control over all of Egypt except that which Pharaoh himself wants to take care of. What a blessing. But as time goes by, there there arose within Egypt a Pharaoh who does not know the history of Joseph and what God did through him. And all he saw was a people, a family group, a gathering, a clan, a tribe, a nation that was rising up within his midst that eventually might be able to overthrow his kingdom and take his power and his authority away from him. So he enslaved them. And for 400 years, the people of Israel grew up in that nation of Israel as slaves. But God was not finished with them. 
You see, they were doing everything for somebody else rather than themselves. They built Egypt's buildings. They, they, they tended to Egyptian flocks. They, they did everything that Egyptian Pharaoh wanted them to do. They were, in essence, the property of Pharaoh and Egypt. Their children were born into slavery and knew no other life but that. The people of God were exploited, they were abused, they, they were crushed, and, and God heard their cries of pain, and He understood their struggle, and so from heaven's throne He raised up an unlikely hero to bring them out of that bondage of slavery, and we're going to lead them to a land of plenty, a land that flows with milk and honey, as God would say. And from all the fanfare that comes with this individual Moses, we have to look at his history a little bit. He was saved from being killed as an infant only by a mother's faith and Pharaoh's daughter's attraction to this infant child. But eventually he becomes a murderer and he has to flee Egypt and he runs away into the Midian desert and there he, he learns to survive in the desert alone until one day he meets a young lady taking care of some sheep. And he finds that relationship with her is something he would desire. And he moves in with her family and he begins to tend to the sheep of this man Jethro. And it's not his. He's just a servant. He's just a caretaker, just a sheep herder here. And then God brings him into a realization that I've raised you and I've set you apart for something special and something wonderful. And he speaks to him from this burning bush on this mountaintop. But Moses has excuses. I, 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 I can't talk Prop, proper. And he begins to stutter, begins to make excuses that he can't do that. Not only is he a fugitive fleeing for his life, he does not dare go back to Egypt, but now he says, I, I stutter and I don't have the ability to speak, so you need to find somebody else speak for you. He was a man on the run. He wasn't this corporate bigwig that you might think would go in and, and lead people. He was just this lowly sheep herder out in the vast wilderness. But suddenly he becomes God's man and he is commissioned to go and to give this wonderful message to the Pharaoh over Egypt. And that message is something that the people of Israel have been longing to hear. And so in Exodus chapter 6 verse 7, God says this, he says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And then over in Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he says, I've observed you and what you have has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. And in Deuteronomy, recorded these words in chapter 15, verse 6. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. 
I mean, what would we say if God were to offer us this, offer us a place that is ours where the house is already built and you don't have to build it, the mortgage is paid for, where the crops have already been planted and sown and all you have to do is go in and reap from them. Would you have to do nothing except for to go and follow him into this location and he gives it to you? What a blessing it is. He's going to provide for these people of Israel who have suffered under slavery for so many years the blessings of heaven and enable them to be rich and well Healthy and powerful and no longer would they bend the knee to anybody else that's his promise to them and I think that's a promise that I'd say I'd like wouldn't you like to have that a house given to you lands that are beautiful and just flow with the, the richness of the soil and no longer would you have to be obedient to anybody else But I think we're cynical Americans and we probably say, what's the catch? I mean, there's got, there's got to be a hitch in this somewhere, doesn't there? I mean, you, you just don't give this to us without expecting something in return, right? I mean, the only catch was that all of the things that God has promised them, everything, was waiting in this land inhabited by giants. And, and giants that were going to be their enemies. And so when they send the 12 spies in, they recognize those giants in the land and they say, ah, we can't do it. They forgot that God had told them, I will go before you and I will prepare the way. He had promised them that they would succeed and he would take care of it. They just needed to go. They chose not to. I mean, what was their response? Did they charge right in? Not quite. It takes about 40 years. So look, look what our passage says. It says that they hardened their hearts. They began creating idols. We see that in Exodus 32. They, they took in gold and they collected it and they made this golden calf because they realized God isn't going to do what he's told us he's going to do. And so they began to worship other idols. They intermarried with the people, with the pagans that were in the land, which God had told them not to do because it was going to corrupt their faith in him. And they began to accept the false gods of the people from Canaan. And they began to worship them as well. They ultimately rejected the promised land that God had given them. And they grumbled and complained that they wanted to go back to Egypt even after all that they had seen God do within their midst. All the miracles that they had witnessed there with their very own eyes. They, they decided it'd be better off if we were slaves in Egypt again. And, and so what do they do? They eventually harden their hearts and they even elect a leader to take them back and to enlist them as slaves again. And they're going to reject following Moses as a leader. And as a result of the hardening of their hearts, they'll no longer trust God. And so God says, I've had enough. I've had it with you. So you're going to die in the desert. That's all that's going to happen. You're going to die in the desert. You're going to die in your unbelief. And you're going to miss out on the blessing because you've hardened your hearts to me. But I'm still going to give that blessing to your kids. If they will be faithful, they will get it. So our author here in Hebrews, he, he begs his audience, to, and ultimately us, not to do the same thing that they did. Don't turn your hearts against God 
Don't harden them to his promises and to his blessings. Instead, be soft-hearted. Now, the second aspect of, of how we should live is we should live deliberately and in the moment. Verse 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from a living God. But exhort one another... Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So how can a Christian develop an unbelieving hard heart against Christ? I mean, how can we do that? We, we know what he has done for us. And why would we ever not embrace the sacrifice that was made? But it, it happens all the time. All we have to do is look around. We can look around at our family members. We can look at our neighborhoods and our work environment. People are always wanting to, to debate this. It, it is the author of Hebrews is saying that, that we can lose our salvation, that we can drift away, that we can abandon what he has blessed us with. I mean, what happened to the saying, once saved, always saved? Did his sacrifice not redeem us for all time, even if we choose to go a different path? Even if we become hard-hearted, is he going to make us die in our deserts? I mean, they were even asking the Apostle Paul, can't we go on sinning so that we can get more grace? And in Romans chapter 6, Paul simply says this emphatically, you've got to be kidding me. No, you can't keep on sinning. You died to sin. You can no longer live in it. So we've got to stop that lifestyle and begin to live in a righteous manner according to Christ. I mean, the issue here is that Christians were turning their backs on Christ. But let's agree together one thing today. As Christians, we should never walk away from Christ. We need to take this warning very seriously, and so that's why he puts us here in the first section here in chapter Two, he gives this great warning. In chapter 3, he's under, helping us understand that the people of Israel, who God was blessing, they turned their backs on God and they hardened their hearts. So what do we need to do to avoid this? Well, we need to guard our hearts. The Bible tells us a lot. We need to guard our hearts from evil. We should be concerned when we find ourselves willingly to gauge in, in sinful, evil actions. Why are we doing that? We need to guard our hearts so that... So that when we have been called to be faithful to Jesus, that we're going to live by the standard that he has established. We know what evil is. We see it in our generation today, and we try to avoid it unless we're the ones creating it. But we need to guard our heart not only from evil, but also from unbelief. Usually it's a slow erosion of the soil of faith that creates that unbelief. It doesn't happen overnight. But for some people it might be an instance, a tragedy, that, that creates within them an anger and a hardness to God because they think He's done something. But for usually it just takes the slow erosion of our faith. We get comfortable not going to church services. And so... I'm going to even stress this to you that are online. Don't get comfortable in your lazy boy. Church is more than just a YouTube video. It's relationship with one another. It's the connecting of hearts and minds and hands and working together side by side. 
and worshiping together side by side. It is the involvement in relationship. And we've had enough time to develop habits of isolationism. We need to stay together so we don't allow unbelief to slowly erode in our life. But we also need to guard our hearts from being coming callous and hard. I mean, that was the fate of the people of Israel. They allowed their hearts to harden towards God, and they refused then to be obedient to Him, and they forgot how good and how great and how powerful and mighty that He was, even though they had seen things over and over again. And they started putting the emphasis on themselves and their perceived needs and their own injustices, and they began to grumble and complain and murmur against God. They trusted their own power over the wisdom that God was trying to show them. Now granted, they started off loving God because after all, look what He had done for them. But eventually they began to resent Him because look at what He had done to them. He brought them out in this wilderness. They had it better off as slaves. And they began to push Him away and they began to neglect His commands. And as the years roll by, they begin to forsake God. So the result is this, a very tragic. Those who came out of that slavery in Egypt, who were crying that God would intervene on their lives and do something wonderful and powerful, they rejected Him and they died in the desert. Third aspect we need to look at is this. We need to listen with confidence and lean on Christ. Hebrews 3.14 says that, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I mean, what a tremendous opportunity for us. The, the faithful will share in all the things that belong to Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and our trust in Him, all that He has, He says, you now become heirs with just as much as I am. We become in the ability to inherit all of heaven because of Him. Think about what we've learned so far in Hebrews. First off, everything was created belongs to Christ. He's the creator and the owner and the sustainer of all things and our redeemer. And through faith we become sons and daughters of the God Most High, brothers with Christ. And here we see that we shall share in all things with Him that belong to Him. He is the heir apparent, but He wants us to receive that blessing as well. But there's still this warning that we should heed. Beginning verse 15. As it is said, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. If we don't keep our faith and our trust in Jesus, we too shall not enter into the land that is promised for us. 
I'm going to close by taking you back to that deserted island with Chuck Nolan. And it might surprise you to realize that we're really all castaways in one way or another. The Bible says that, that our sins have separated us from God. And we have been isolated from His holiness because of the things that we have done in our own unbelief. Like the character in the movie, many of us are simply surviving, but there's something more that we really want. Something that is more that we really need. There's something, there's something that we hunger and we thirst for and we crave after. And the only way to get it is to leave the island of self and to take a chance on Jesus and the vastness of this universe that He has created, we can be confident that He will enable us not only to survive on a raft at open sea, but to walk on water. The ancient Jews were taking a big chance to leave Egypt and to go out into this promised land that God was providing for them. I mean, it was, it was a huge leap of faith. It wasn't that they'd ever been there before. It was a place they'd heard about that had been promised to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, who had brought them into Egypt. This land that God had said would be a beautiful place, and now they're going to actually get to see it, that so many generations had died without that opportunity. And so he heard their cry, and they were going there. And these Jews who received this letter of Hebrews were taking a big chance now on Jesus being their Messiah, Redeemer, and King. And they're going to leave everything that they have known for their entire lives, and that they're going to, in everything that they've lived by daily, the law of Moses, and, and, and their comfort of working out their salvation by trusting that what God had said they should do, that it would eventually forgive them. And they're going to set their hearts and their hopes on Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross for them and his resurrection from the dead, that they too should be able to live in heaven. For some of us, it seems like such a big risk to let Jesus become Lord of our life, to let Him reshape our identity, to give us a new name. We may be scared about all the implications because we've never been there. We're comfortable in our own surroundings and we trust the things that we know that we can do. You like your way of life the way it is, it's predictable. Even if it's predictably bad, we still know what it's like. But you sense there's something more, that there's something better, there's something more magnificent and greater, and there's some, something that's, that's bigger than what we can actually hope or understand beyond our own imagination, that there's something that's more wonderful out there that He has promised us, that if we will put our faith and our trust in Him, it will be ours. And He's calling us. And I believe that there are better things better opportunities that are offered through Jesus if we will simply embrace His hand as He holds it out. But all of this comes with a warning for us today. If you don't find faith in Jesus, you're going to die on your hard-hearted island of disbelief. We've got to take the chance. Gareth Reese, 
a professor up at Central Christian College of the Bible in Moberly, has written a commentary uh, on Romans and, and, and on Acts and on Hebrews. And, or, but here's the one out of Acts. He makes this statement. It's another illustration of how God, how his appeal works on a man's heart, can be learned from the operation of the sun in its various substances. Listen to what he says. He says, the same sun can melt wax, but it will harden clay. It depends on the substance which it strikes. So it is with the gospel. God had so arranged it that the same gospel will melt some hearts and harden others, depending on the substance it strikes. A man who allows himself to be persuaded will be softened and molded into God's image. And a man who steals himself to refuse the invitation will find himself hardened, and it will be more difficult next time for him to surrender to the invitation to repent and obey. So I want to give you a chance this morning to declare your faith in Jesus Christ, to accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior, to be baptized into His name, and to acknowledge that like, like everybody else, you need a Savior, that you need someone to redeem you because of your sins, because of the hardness of your heart from years past, that, that you will die in a desert of loneliness apart from Christ because He's the only one who can save you. And God is calling some of you to wade out into that sea of forgiveness. And he's wanting you to surrender yourself to the hope of salvation. But you've got to take that first step. You've got to be willing to leave the comfort of the world that you've grown up in and accept the one that he offers. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we know that today we struggle in our own island of unbelief because we like to see things with our eyes and we like to feel things with our hands and we like to be assured that we are in control. But that is not true. We aren't in control. It's chaos. It's anarchy. We see our world falling apart all around us. Starvation, homelessness, riots, racism, Hatred that is building from the very core of our lives and our hearts. And that it is becoming hardened by the world in which we live and by our own sinfulness. Father, help us to soften our heart to you and to your message. To your Son who entered into this world as our Savior to redeem us from ourselves. That we can leave our own island of self-denial. Put our trust and our faith in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.